Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie. How's it going? It's good. It's Welcome going. to the Mixed Reviews, everybody. Yeah. This is very natural. We sound very no, natural. It's great. Um, I am feeling so good and so happy and glad to be back. Me too. Me too. Uh, we have some old business to get to. Oh, I should explain what the Mixed Reviews is. What's the Mixed Reviews even about, mixed Gavin? Mixed Reviews is a podcast in which we take a film subject, such as an actor or director, or sometimes a mini genre, and we go in and we dissect it. Oh and we God. tell you what we like and what we don't like. I think you like dissecting a little too much, Gavin. I love dissecting. Disgusting. Tis the season. Ooh. Uh-huh. Halloween all year round. Oh, God. Um, but today, before we get into our old business, we would like to introduce you a very special guest. We don't always have guests on the show because I feel I feel like it's such an imposition to invite right. people and be like, "I'm giving you a month. Study as much as you can. <laughs> Do you even watch movies?" Yeah. <laughs> but we have the most amazing, most wonderful guest today. So please welcome to the show. Please welcome to the stage. <laughs> please welcome to the stage. Christy Puchko. Yay! Hi, Christy! Hey! Chris- Hi! I, like, now want there to be an applause sound effect put in. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Everyone, 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 That'd be great. There it is. I appreciate there it is. Yay! Uh, Christy, you have an amazing <laughs> long line of credits behind you, and I don't want to miss one, so I'm going to make you introduce yourself, but I do want to say this. Uh, I recently saw a movie, and while I was at the movie, beforehand there were trailers, and I saw your name in multiple of them but wow. my favorite was i saw your name pop up twice in the trailer for anna and the apocalypse what yeah so ah that's so rad um yeah i saw that at fantastic fest of 2017 and loved it to pieces i actually got to host a q a this weekend uh with the star ella hunt who was lovely there's like one of those big standees that has like pull quotes on it for Anna and the Apocalypse and me and my friend Matt Donato are both quoted on it and we saw it at a theater one night so we're like so I mean we're totally getting a picture with that right yeah, like I mean, casual. Not I mean I feel like, like this is gonna be stuff. it's really exciting this is gonna be the like heartwarming Christmas musicale of the year <laughs> last year was Greatest Showman this yeah. year it's Anna and the Apocalypse <laughs> Same. This is the same movie. Yeah, you got it. Um, I didn't know. I, like, I had. I knew I was in a trailer. I didn't know it was one of the trailers playing in theaters. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, you're in it twice. So hold that over Matt Donato's head. There you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Take that, Matt. I'm gonna make sure he listens to this. Be like, I gave you a shout out, and then I'll just gonna text me, like, dude. Christy, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? You have, so, as I mentioned, you have so many credits to your name. I don't want to get anything wrong. Oh, I mean, it's like I freelance and I've been freelancing uh, as a film critic and entertainment reporter for time. I, I don't even like saying how long anymore because it makes time. me feel... For time. <laughs> yeah, for time. Uh, but yeah, I've written for a bunch of places. I've written for Nerdist and Screen Rant. And now I write more uh, more often for Sci-Fi Fangirls and Riot Material. And I write every day at Pajiba. I sometimes do stuff for Vanity Fair or IndieWire so I kind of bounce around and then I've had my own podcast for a few years called Popcorn and Prosecco which was with Angie, Angie Han and uh, Perry Nemiroff which was really fun and it really just started because the three of us were talking all the time about har- about movies and constantly just wanted to do that so uh, but then they both moved to LA and it is much harder to keep a podcast together when people live across the country um, <laughs> but we yeah but the three of us still talk all the time it's just that now no one gets to hear all the weird uh, opinions we have about movies like Winter's Tale. Um, but some of those are still out there. You can find a lot of us on YouTube. So if you're like, what do they think of Winter's Tale? We took a field trip. That's what we think. We took a field trip to see the locations from that movie. Uh, and then, like, uh, I, was I, on... I know about that because Dan was on that field trip. There you go. You. <laughs> so <laughs> much fun. We all crammed in the teeniest car because Perry insisted it would fit six people. Uh, no. I mean, like, <laughs> yes. 
But no, uh, yeah, no, it was gonna be. It was like we did this whole tour of this like historic landmark, and no one mentioned Winter's Tale the entire time, and we just kind of kept waiting for them. And now they'll talk about what. Like I don't know why we thought that was gonna be the big draw of the tour for anyone else there, but uh, then at the end, finally, we <laughs> found like a shop girl who was like, "Let me tell you about Winter's Tale. I was here when they shot." And we're like, "Go on." Um, yeah, uh-huh. and I was on the radio <laughs> for a little bit on uh, It's Eric Nagel, and uh, I this year did a prolonged guest stint on Slash Filmcast, so people may have heard me on that, which was really fun. I kind of got to bring my feisty perspective. You were really great on the Slash Filmcast, so oh, I, I was very excited to have you on the show. I was super stoked to be asked. Gavin's been plotting this for a while. He's been telling me, like, we're going to get my friend Christy on the show, and I was like, <laughs> bring her on. I was so excited. You were so shy about asking me. And I was like, of course I want to be on Mixed Reviews. Like, I love listening to the show. Well, you're like, oh. you're like a celebrity. So stop oh, my it. goodness. <laughs> you're this in the Enemy Apocalypse trailer ever. twice. That's true. It's a really big deal. I don't know if you guys are aware. It's funny because like I don't like I don't get quoted on a lot of stuff. But when I do, I try to show my parents. So like I can be like, look, I have a real job. This is the thing. Uh, and like <laughs> one of the first things I ever got quoted on is relevant. It was Birdman. Uh, and I'm like on the DVD, oh. it says like hilarious Christy Puchko. So it's not, it's just, it's fine. But I was excited about it. It's a, it's a, it's a word. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's fine. I'm excited. You were, you that's were like cool. both bird and man. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, hilarious. Fine. And I showed it to my dad. And so my dad watched Birdman because I was on the, on the, on the DVD art. And uh, his response mm. was, mm, no, that was not for me. No. And he still makes fun of Birdman. He hates that movie. He thinks it's dumb. He's a keen- And he's like, remember when you got quoted on that movie that was really bad? And I'm like, all right, all right. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> really bad. Obviously. Yeah. I think, we, I think we finally found the one thing your, your dad and I agree on. Anyways. <gasps> <laughs> We're going to fight. Wow. The reviews are getting mixed. Yeah, already. they're getting mixed already. Yeah. Uh, so I do want to, I, I do want to like bring us. By the way, so that is what this episode is about. This episode was was Christie's pick. I was like, in the wide world of of film annals of history, mm-hmm. like, what do you want to do? And literally, without missing a beat, you're Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, <laughs> Michael Keaton. <laughs> right, um, and we can get into why so, later. But you know my deep devotion. Like it's it oh, is absolutely. it is the core to my being that I love Michael Keaton. I. I almost felt bad that I didn't like launch like we can do Michael Keaton before right, you right. said anything. <laughs> um, well, you were like, "Does he have a movie coming out?" Into... And I was like, "I don't know." Eventually, like when Dumbo, Dumbo's coming out eventually. But why wait? <laughs> right. Why right. wait for Dumbo? No time like the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, before we get into Michael Keaton, uh, we do have just one small bit of old business to get through, yes. which is revisiting last week's poll. For yes. our subject, Viola Davis. I know, Viola Davis, such an emotional episode. I'm so happy uh, it came out as well as it did. Um, we asked everyone to go online to our Twitter and vote for your favorite uh, Viola Davis movie. Um, it was kind of a short poll. I yeah. was busy moving this week. Yeah, it it's... was my fault. I Louis normally does the poll, and I knew he was moving, and so I was like, oh, I'll do the poll. And I took it upon myself, and then I said it only for a day. But it's fine, because honestly, there was no wrong answer. Yeah. Um, the Help came in last place at 10%. Widows came out uh, 27%, um, and Doubt and Fences were, like, neck and neck. Neck and neck. Yeah. Uh, Doubt was with 30%, and Fences came out on top, which was my pick, for 33%. Um, yes, like I said, no wrong answers. Yeah, we we only we only got, I think, one comment, uh, which was somebody just saying, like, you know, how could it not be Fences? So. Right, right. And, uh, you know, 
Yeah, and I had a lot of good conversations with friends and just being like, oh my god, the tour de force that is Viola, and we were so lucky to have her. And also, just um, all the uh, people going out and seeing Widows, and... um, yeah, and and I'm very excited. Uh, yeah, she's she's an absolute queen. But it was also announced this week that uh, she's going to play Sh- Shirley Chisholm, the first yes. black congresswoman, yes. mm-hmm. uh, in a movie coming out. And that like 100 percent looking forward to that. So all the best to our darling love, Viola. Oh, hail Viola. Yeah. Um, with that being said, I think it's time to move into our Michael Keaton pick. Christy, why don't you tell us why you wanted to do Michael Keaton? That's a complicated question that I can answer in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> no, I, I grew up... Uh, <laughs> I mean, one, I grew up in the 80s, so, like, he is omnipresent in my childhood. But two, it was, like, he was also from, like, Pittsburgh, and I grew up near Pittsburgh, so he's, like, a hometown boy for us. But, like, I remember one of the first movies I vividly remember watching was Batman. I was watching it with my dad, and mm-hmm. I was way too young to be watching it, probably, because that movie is still very screwed <laughs> up. And I was, like, really scared because the Joker's really scary in that movie. And my dad started talking to me about, like, what movies are and how it's all pretend and how who Jack Nicholson is. And it kind of blew my mind that this was all something that was created, like, just to entertain me is how I felt. Like, I thought me personally, this movie was made to entertain <laughs> Um, But, like, you know, he's always been my Batman, and Batman Returns I'm obsessed with, but I also loved Mr. Mom. I watched Gung Ho, like, Multiplicity. Like, I just couldn't get enough Michael Keaton growing up, and then, like, it felt like there was this dearth where he wasn't making movies, though I have found out this week he totally was, Uh, but there is a reason we didn't hear about them. (laughs) And then, like, he came back with, like, a bunch of really incredible movies. You had Birdman and Spotlight. And if you don't like Birdman, like, they were, like, these really, like, tour de force, really intense performances. Uh, and I think he's great in The Founder. And, you know, then he came back into superhero movies with Spider-Man Homecoming. And it was just really exciting to see people rediscover Michael Keaton because, like, for me, he's matured as an actor and he's done really interesting things with his persona and his star power. But, like, he was just such a huge influence in, like, what I thought comedy was and what I thought leading men were. So just, I've always just been really like excited about Michael Keaton. And there was like definitely a period of time where people would be like, well, who was your first celebrity crush? And I was like, Oh, Michael Keaton. And they're like, Oh, what? And I'm like, (sighs) cool. (laughs) Right. And it wasn't that they were judgmental. It's like, I think people just kind of forgot he was around and it's just like, he was so formative. He made so many really funny, interesting movies. And like, he made characters that are like, you know, the everyman, but just on the brink of losing their shit. And, like, that's always <laughs> yeah, just really yeah. exciting to watch. He, he plays yeah, that and to, like, a lot. <laughs> yeah, and to watch the variant of that over the years. And, like, I can get into this as we go along, but, like, I feel like he really knows what his star power and what his persona is, and he has played with that really smartly in, like, the last decade. And, like, I just think he's fascinating, and rewatching movies of his this week has been super fun and so like i mean yeah that was kind of honestly it was just an excuse that like this is award season and it means i have to watch a lot of stuff that is going to be depressing as hell but it's like you know people are like it's the best movie (laughs) of the year so i have to watch it so like it's been great that i'm like well i also have to watch you know uh jack frost (laughs) yeah i I have to revisit the canonical jack frost holiday appropriate uh, right Uh, i wish i had some time i forgot i forgot I definitely rewatched Jack Frost, and I for- I forgot his name was Jack Frost. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> he was born to be a snowman, right? Right. 
tour yeah. de force speaking of yeah, which yeah, yeah. uh it, yeah it's i just he's always been like you know i don't know i feel like there are those actors that are just very key to how we approach cinema from the start and for me like he was my batman and like i watched batman so many times and then batman returns came along and blew my mind and like is still one of my favorite movies yeah ever. totally yeah like gavin and i could yeah, go absolutely. on and on and I... have at, ho- at holiday parties <laughs> Um, I, I still, rem- I still remember, uh, I, I, like I saw Batman Returns. I, I, first of all, up until Batman versus Superman, I saw every contemporary Batman movie, um, opening night. Mm-hmm. And that was the first one I refused to see. Cause I was like, fuck this noise. But, uh, but the, I saw Batman Returns opening night in the theaters with my dad and I, asked to leave and we he didn't luckily because it was so dark and so scary yeah. um yeah. chrissy's losing her mind right now um no i i totally get that though because like batman returns like it, it i i was like i oh, we could do the math on this but i was in grade school and i was like i went to go see it with this girl at school that like <laughs> i thought was way cooler than me and the fact that she like invited me to go was really exciting and we went to like the four far away mall that was like near pittsburgh it was like a big deal day it was like a whole day trip and I remember we played a hologram video game and then we went to see Batman Returns and I felt so mature and her dad didn't mm-hmm. even sit near us, which felt like next level. Like I, I felt like we were the coolest oh, wow. people. And the fact that we saw this movie that was like so violent and weird and sexual in a way that like I did not have any comprehension of how to deal with yet was just like, yeah, very, totally. Very I mean, like seeing seeing Danny DeVito, like, bite people's faces, yeah, and, like, yeah. uh, Michelle Pfeiffer just, like, licking her body, I was like, hello, nurse. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, incredible. I-, I totally agree. I think, like, Michael Keaton was, like, it's he kind of is, like, Hollywood's dad, you know? Like, just very like for for maybe not hard. i i want to be i want to i i want to preface this louis is at least five years younger and i think i, I, I do that. think there's a point where he became say, hollywood's dad but yeah. i think for christy and i we got him before that well but even yeah, like seeing like daddy, mr mom multiplicity <laughs> oh okay yeah fair yeah. fair he just plays <laughs> a lot of like like you said like a lot of like guys uh very like um i don't know he for me watching the movies, he's like very like middle class white America. Yeah. Every yeah. guy who like you know is doing his best and struggling and like, but he's got to make it through somehow. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I I'm excited to see what we all think because yeah. there's so much of his work, a lot of stuff that's like kind of similar. Um, yeah, I would yeah, say. Yeah. Um, no, totally. But also, but then also. But then also he has like Beetlejuice and like these really Mm -hmm. crazy characters that like are iconic. Um, But so before we get into our picks, I do want to go into just a a little bit of the past of Michael Keaton. So let's get into our rewind. Michael John Douglas, which is his real name. Michael Douglas. Yeah, he is not an actual Keaton. For all of you out there, and there's like this weird misnomer. I found this out during research that pe- that he picked Keaton because he thought Diane Keaton was hot, and he's like shot that rumor down right. so many times. What if he was like, you, what if he was like, yeah, guys, I'm like really fucking into Diane Keaton, <laughs> so I like name myself after her. Um, I was a Stanway and, and before he's... Eminem. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> the reason he's Michael Keaton is because the SAG rules says that there can only be a certain number of people with the same name. There's already the actor Michael Douglas, which is funny because that's also not Michael Douglas's real name, as we talked about in the Michael Douglas episode. Uh-huh. And then there's the TV show host, Mike Douglas. 
So he, like, he basically said he just picked up somebody said, hey, dude, you know, you got this job. I got some kind of job. You got to sign this thing. And, and I said, yeah, okay. And they said, well, you know, you can't just, just make up a name or something. And I was going through the uh, alphabet and I was in the case and it seemed, you know, kind of neither here nor there. And I thought, you know, ultimately I will, you know, find the really cool name. And I just never got around to it, you know. So, <laughs> so, and then I had another job, and I said, "Well, just you know." And then I then I never really stopped. And I'll tell you something though. When I, my middle name is John, and uh, where I come from, there are a lot of nicknames. Everyone has a nickname, and there I don't know. And I'll tell you my favorite nickname in a minute. But my, um, everyone has a lot of nicknames. So my brothers, uh, we have three brothers, and I have three sisters, and and they would everybody was called everybody something, and they would call me Johnny. Um, and then they'd call me Johnny, Johnny, and then they started calling me Jackson. And so I thought, oh, that'd be nice if I called myself Michael Jackson. <laughs> so he was born in 1951, September 5th of 1951, um, and he was uh, raised between, a you might correct me on this, but Coropolis? Don't Do you know. know. Have you ever heard of that place in Pennsylvania? I have okay. not. Uh, <laughs> Don't know her. Um, and Forest Grove, both of which are in Pennsylvania. They're both near Pittsburgh. So he's yeah. he's from like a suburb. He's the youngest of seven children. Whoa. Which is really probably not easy. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm the youngest of three children, and even I'm like, oh, too many. <laughs> um, you know, the first house I, I grew up in, I'm looking at the size of this room. The first house when I was very small, seven kids, nine originally. My mom lost two, two babies, which was not uncommon then. And I'm the youngest, and there were, so at one point there were nine of us for a brief period of time, seven kids and two, in the house, and I'm looking for the back wall. I'm not lying, that, there's, this house was not, not as deep as where that back wall was. It was, I mean, small, and, and the roof, the top floor was an attic, uh, second floor, not, not an attic attic, but it was a, it was an attic second floor, you know, I mean, it was usable. There was a bedroom, my mother and dad's bedroom was up there. And I don't know where they put all of us. I think I was in a, I think I was in a crib in that, uh, in their room uh, until I was like fourteen. No, <laughs> no, no, till, till, no, I really didn't want to leave home. Um, no, till I, until I was, I don't know how old, because I had to have been somewhere. It might have been my sister and myself up there. I can't, re- I can't figure out where they put us. Then we moved down, the, just down the road to an old farmhouse that my father's family had that was totally run down. My sister told me about a year ago, I never knew this, that um, for the first six or eight months or something like that, we had, we, we had no indoor plumbing. Yeah, we had an outhouse. And I don't ever remember that. Because I, you know, as a kid, I didn't care. I barely had clothes on anyway when I was young. <laughs> I didn't. I was always naked when I was a kid. Just always running around naked. His heritage is like English, German, Scottish, Scotch-Irish. He, it's he, white. It's white. He said everybody that, like, the Irish side, which is his mother's side, is very funny and gregarious. And everybody that's, like, Protestant Scottish on his father's side is not. Boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, he attended uh, Monitor High School in the Robinson Township of Pennsylvania. Um, and he studied speech for two years at Kent State University before dropping out and going back to Pennsylvania. Why not? Um, and I kind of love that about him, that there's, like, not a, like, a hardcore education. Uh, his very first TV appearance was uh, for a Pittsburgh public access television show. You may never have heard of it before. Um, it's called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Unfamiliar. Yeah, Unfamiliar. Don't, know, don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was one of the uh, things I really uh, was bummed about in the Mr. Rogers doc is you see him in, like, an archive photo, but they never speak to him. And I was like, we all yeah. know this. We all know he worked there. You know what makes me even more angry about that is he hosted 
hosted and was nominated for hosting yeah. a Mr. Rogers documentary for PBS after Mr. Rogers died. Right. Mm-hmm. And how could they not talk to him for the Mr. Rogers documentary, the big one? Hi, I'm Michael Keaton. And back in the late 1970s, when I still lived in my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I worked for a couple of years at WQED, the public television station there. I was on the floor crew of a lot of shows, including Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I was even on the program a couple of times. On the show, he played one of the Flying Zucchini Brothers. I've seen the clip. It exists. Uh, He doesn't have any lines, but it's very funny. Um, And then he also served as a full-time PA for them. Yeah. Production Mm -hmm. assistant, for those of you not in the business. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, uh, he also worked in an act as an actor in Pittsburgh theater. He played the role of Rick in the Pittsburgh premiere of David Robb's Sticks and Bones uh, with the Pittsburgh Poor Players. Um, and he also, to supplement himself early on his career, did stand-up comedy. And I feel like most people don't realize that, don't probably know. because he never got famous for it. Right. Remember Bazooka Joe Bubblegum? Yeah. Let's see if I got it here. Yeah, still got some. So you just don't put Bazooka Joe in your mouth and throw the thing away. Now, I read this today, and I gotta tell you, this is very funny. I'm sorry, this is just a very funny thing. Do you know, are you familiar with the characters? Bazooka Joe, the turtle neck footer over here, like that, you know? I could never understood how Bazooka Joe, he always had a lot of food on his sweater because it never got through it. And then Tubby, they're standing here, okay? Here it is. And I'll just read it to you. Now, you might not laugh, but I think this is very funny. He says, Bazooka Joe has a clock in his hand, you know? And Tubby says, what are you doing, Bazooka Joe? And he says, I'm throwing a clock out the window. And he says, why? And Bazooka Joe says, I wanted to see time fly. Okay? All right, now wait a minute. Okay, now wait a minute. Tubby says to him, time, Bazooka Joe? It's a rather ethereal subject, isn't it? And Bazooka Joe says, uh, well, it depends on how one views time. I mean, if you see time traveling in a horizontal line to infinity, well, then yes, I guess it is, but... Outside of that, people see it broken up in segments. And then Tubby comes back with, I think, something pretty clever. Tubby comes back and says, yes, but wasn't it Eugene O'Neill who said, weary am I of the tumult, sick of the madding crowd, longing for far sea places where the soul may think aloud. And then Bazooka Joe looks at him and goes, hey, sorry I f***ing asked, okay? He has talked about it a bunch and just how it just, that wasn't the thing for him. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So he eventually left Pittsburgh and moved to L.A. And he started popping up on TV shows. He's on Maude. He was on the Mary Tyler Moore Hour. Um, and that's when he started to run afoul of SAG, where they were like, please pick another name. <laughs> um, and he then got his first film debut in a movie called The Rabbit Test, which was directed by Joan Rivers. Um, he has a non-speaking role. He plays a sailor at a table. It's a film starring uh, Billy Crystal as the world's first pregnant man. Oh. And... Uh, like I said, it's a non-speaking role, but I love the fact that his first film was with a with a female director. Yeah, and that Joan Rivers, casual. Um, and then after that, like you know, he was on a he was on a short-lived comedy TV show with Jim Belushi called Working Stiffs, and that show led to his very first film, which is Night Shift, directed by Ron Howard. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. and then from there, like everything just sort of went crazy. So mm-hmm. he. Uh, got his role in Mr. Mom because of that movie. Uh, that was essentially what it was is that movie was written by, um, John Hughes. Uh, yep, yep, yep. and he had a TV deal with Aaron Spelling at the time. And Aaron Spelling was like, well, this would make a better movie. So Aaron Spelling was like, let's make a movie out of it. And so they were going to cast somebody else and, uh, a 
Laura Schuler Donner, who had worked on Night Shift, was like, you should check out this guy. He's really funny, really quirky. And he came in audition and blew him all away. I've always said that about Michael Keaton. So quirky. So quirky. <laughs> um, and, and from I there, own Mr. Like, Mom. It was, it was like... Oh, oh yes. You, you own Mr. Mom? I do, because it came in a box of cereal. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay, can we really quickly talk about Mr. Mom? Sure. I had never seen it before. And so I watched it this past week. And I was, I mean, maybe this is just like my uh, 2018 eyes. I was like, wait, it's just he has to stay at home? Yeah. I thought like there was going to be like something else, like another thing. I was like, the complication is that he has to stay at home and be a stay at home dad. I, I, I was like, oh, that's. That's all the tension in here. That's all it is. There's yep. no, like, big, like, crazy thing that happens. I will say, though, thank God he doesn't have, like, awful kids. In that movie, they had, the kids yes. are very nice yeah. and good. And I appreciated that because I fucking hate bad kids. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I liked Mr. Mom. I haven't watched it in a while, but, I mean, like, I do own it. I did think about rewatching it in time for this, but I didn't get around to it. But, like, Mr. Mom was just... Yeah, it seems so quaint now. Like, well, yeah, they're stay-at-home dads. But yes. at the time, it was very much about, like, a man kind of questioning his own identity. Because I think, not just men, but I think Americans put a lot of our identity into our jobs. And being a stay-at-home dad, especially then, was not something that was respected. I would argue there are still people that are very critical of stay-at-home dads and act like they're, like, opting out of making a living or something. Right, that they're, like, totally. making some less-than choice. And, like, so it was kind of revolutionary because the movie never paints as what he's doing is, like, less-than. Like, it's it's what the family right. needs. And that I think he does show growth and comes to appreciate that role. I think it does a really good job, too, like, being, like, it's not easy to stay right. home with kids. And, like, it's not something any idiot could do because it definitely mm-hmm. he is the butt of many of the jokes right. like the washing mm-hmm. machine joke yeah. which is one of the most famous things is about how it's like you dummy don't you know how to do clothes right, right. but like um but my problem my biggest problem is mr mom is i just think the ending is really offensive where it's essentially like terry Garge is like i miss my kids yeah yeah <laughs> like, yeah it kind of like all kind of comes back together in the very like quote-unquote normal way or whatever yeah Absolutely. it's like a recompense that's yeah. like don't worry we're not too radical yeah <laughs> yeah um, but and and then so the late '80s, you know, th- this is this starts, you know, his sort of late '80s career. He basically becomes known as this very go-to comedic actor. Actor. He's very, as I mentioned before, he's very um, maybe quirky is not the right word, but he's he's kind of ticky. He's yeah. kind of but but there's a charisma to him. Like there's he definitely like generates a magnetic field when he oh, acts for sure. that draws yeah. you to him. He has this kind of everyman quality, but there's like a snark to it that it's like I feel like we get to live through that and like. Just imagine if you could say the stuff that he says. And, like, what's funny is, like, after Mr. Mom came, like, Johnny Dangerously, which not a lot of people have seen, but it's an Amy Heckerling, like, gangster comedy where he's so good and it's so funny. And it's, like, Joe Piscopo is, like, his rival in it. And Mary Lou Henner has a musical number that I memorized because that's the weird teenage girl (laughs) I was. I performed it at a local theater to my friends to impress this boy I like. Like, that was the level we're operating at that I was obsessed with this movie. Of course. That is that is another movie, yeah, where I saw uh, probably hundreds of times as a kid, and I had not 
I had not seen it in years, and I started watching it with Dan, and Dan was like maybe half an hour and was like, I need to go. <laughs> and I was like, you're this either- is so much fun. I was like, how dare you? You're either it's a Johnny so Dangerous nice. person or you're not. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Furman's going to kill Johnny's brother at the Savoy Theater tonight, pass it on. Furman's going to kill Johnny's mother at the Savoy Theater tonight, pass it on. Furman's mother's going to kill Johnny at the Savoy Theater, pass it on. And then in 1988, he lands the role of Beetlejuice in Tim Burton's Beetlejuice, which is a role he turned down. Yeah. Um, he didn't think he'd be good for it. And uh, and then uh, and then he reconsidered. And now he considers it one of his favorite roles. And I totally get it. And, uh, and uh, one of the things that people don't realize, and I think this is not very common on a Tim Burton set, a lot of his stuff was improv. Wow. Um, which I, I also think is not easy to do when you're covered in that much makeup. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that at all. I walked in and a couple of the crew guys started laughing at my look and one of the guys started, started calling me Juice. And then a couple of crew guys said, Juice, and we hadn't shot a foot of film. And we started shooting and I said, here we go. And I just started doing it. And like immediately, Tim goes, he's so great. He goes, he used to grab his head a lot. He goes, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and he'd go and his hair is flying around and I'd say, wait, Michael, go up there and then do that, do that. But then when you do that, do that. And I go, okay. And then I just start doing what he said. And then I go, rah, 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 and they said, now you've got to see that. He'll run up the, like, the set, walk on the set in that tree and would stick the tree up. So you go up and you, and you kick the tree up over like something. I go, okay. And he tried to describe to me what it was going to look like. And now I'm starting to get a sense of this thing. I go, oh, okay, I kind of see what he's doing. I, physically, I kind of, I saw what the look was going to be. So then I just went up and I did a couple of takes and I kicked the tree over and I go, nice fucking model. And, <laughs> and, and just to go, why not? I'm going to say anything. Yeah. The greatest thing about Beetlejuice is you never ask the question, what would my character do? Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, he would laugh hysterically and they'd go, okay, come on down here, let's do this. And we just started doing all this stuff. And it was like, okay, game on, let's go, you know, let's just go. And I shot, only shot like 17 days. Or You're kidding No, I'm not, in, I don't even know, I don't think, no, I didn't shoot 17 days. I shot less than that. I'm only in, uh, not in it much. Before we before we move into the the game changer, which is eighty nine's Batman, which right. is the appearance of his first good haircut. In a True. Film. Yep. True. Um, can we t- can we talk about the hair? Can we talk about the eighties hair? That eighties hair. It looks like I don't know, Christy. Please. <laughs> um, so here's something I realized not too long ago uh, when we were. I was asked to partake in this thing of like, who was your first kind of celebrity crush? And when I was, like, watching, like, a movie with Michael Keaton from the 80s and trying to kind of figure out, like, how to describe that hair, (sighs) Gavin, you've met my husband. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I have. He literally has Michael Keaton's hair. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've never thought of it. It's like this. Gavin's seeing it now. Yeah, like it's like a floof of curls. It won't be tamed. It'll kind of do its own thing. And, like, I have been with my husband. Uh, we got together when I was a literal teenager, 
and I uh, did not realize that until I just showed like, Louis a picture a of your husband, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I'm like, yeah, hmm. they don't I'm look now like in each deep other. Consideration, kind of like, hmm. any other respect, but like, the, yeah, Michael Keaton has like this, like this fluffy curly hair that we do not allow me- like actors to have today because we have to have them all like polished and preened. But like, Gutenberg mm-hmm. had the same thing mm-hmm. going on. Like, we were totally fine with curly haired men just having curly hair and letting them live their truth. Uh, and I, I, I miss that a little bit. The like, 80s. The 80s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what a time. Yeah. I, my, was... my only complaint about it more than anything was, and I currently have longer hair, which I need to have cut, but like it, the length of it and yeah. in certain movies, especially uh, what's what's that? That one that I unfortunately got you to watch with meatloaf in it, uh, the squeeze. Oh, the I squeeze. Saw it, um, yeah, the squeeze. But in the squeeze, it's like the squeeze. Yeah, the like squeeze, yes. yeah. I, did we all watch the squeeze? It, it was. It was just like a little too much. I was like, oh my god, Michael it Keaton. Is, but he's Come also on. supposed to be to like kind of scuzzy in that one, where he's like this weird back alley artist who's like yeah. kind of a con man. Right. So, like, he it like makes. Sense. <laughs> Like a he dinosaur makes, like, out of uh, TVs. Dinosaurs out of TVs. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I was like, okay, th- there was someone on the Hollywood lot who was like, guys, I know how to make this thing. Right. <laughs> and like, we're supposed to believe he made me, it for like a club. Right. But then he like, made, he did get... make the whole thing for a club, but then he only delivered half of it to them. And I was like, why? Right. I just never understood yeah. what was going on there. And he kept, I felt like he was, he was trying to get more money for it or something, but it was just like unclear to me. And it was like, but I know you have this whole thing and they never really get back to it. And I was like, wait, but you build this entire dinosaur out of televisions and it like never really pays off in any way. It was such, I was like live. I was basically tweeting at Gavin the entire time watching that. Cause I was like, what is happening in this movie? I, uh, the movie is very weird. I think, which is why I like just was like, yeah, right. Same. The squeeze. Um, um, but I will say the the one thing that I, um, about that movie is it has a very unfortunate, like, uh, dvd art like yeah has um it's been it's like these two hands crushing the twin towers and i was like well that does not hold up (laughs) yeah i like looked that up and i was like you think they might just take like a picture of his face for that now and just be like we don't right yeah yeah they still use that though Hmm. yep but uh because no one has thought of that movie since 1988 that brings us to 80s, 89's batman which was like at the time which is crazy to think about now the most controversial casting uh, yeah. of like anybody it was like we were tw- so innocent exactly like the 20th century's like like deep dark like how could you do this um and it's funny because i mean i i still like i see him as bruce wayne but like i i guess i could see going back and watching a lot of those movies why people might be a little like oh i don't know but it's funny because um keaton himself thought like the the movie was going to be like the adam west show. yeah 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 so he didn't he was like okay and then tim burton had him read uh frank miller's the dark knight returns and he was like oh this this man is like <laughs> conflicted <laughs> um yeah and uh and so that's what really sort of informed his performance and i think what's sort of great about his bruce wayne is that uh bruce wayne feels more human in tim burton's movies which is one of the things that i don't think that you can uh say about every tim burton movie but like Mm -hmm. bruce wayne has because they're so artistic and so uh gothic um but bruce wayne has a real heart and soul and you really i saw one article refer to him as a contemplative nerd (laughs) as batman and i I don't think that's 
I don't know if that's like necessarily the wording I would use, but I I get what they mean by that. Like right. he's right. not this big buff macho guy. He's not really about going out and beating up people. Right. There's no training montage. Right. Exactly. Right. And it's one of it's one of the few Batman movies, especially when you compare. And I I know this probably won't sit well with certain people, but like he does detective work, which is a huge part mm-hmm. of who Batman is. Right. Whereas if you look at the Nolan movies, you literally have Christian Bale just screaming at people like, "Where are the drugs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where's?" Rachel, like there, there's no detective work, right? Girl, in any of them, yeah. It's just like, just tell me. Um, and uh, and I, I appreciate that out of his Batman. But there were there were letters written to the studio to, to, to fire him there, and wow. Michael Keaton said he he had missed all of this up until he read an article that said that he was going to be personally responsible for tanking the stock of Warner Brothers. Wow, wow, yeah, and and so he was like. Uh, man, that sucks. He's he's basically was like, why do people care? Yeah, <laughs> why do yeah. I don't care. Relax. Um, I will say one other thing before we move out of um uh Batman. I funny interesting fact I found. Uh, he's a he's a huge Pittsburgh sports fan, and in his contracts uh for Batman, he had negotiated a break that if the Pirates made the playoffs that year, he uh. could have time off. To go to their games, honestly, That's amazing. He stands. Yeah, yeah. Um, they didn't. They didn't make the playoffs that year, so <laughs> he did not get his time off. Uh, but Warner, uh, Warner Brothers like sabotaged the Pirates that year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> and and so yeah, so he does. He does Batman, and his career changes suddenly. He's doing dramas and dramedies and he does batman returns in 92 he gets offered batman forever but tim burton leaves and he does a bunch of meetings with joel schumacher and i've i've literally heard him say this in interviews where he's just like it sucked it just was never getting any better wow so and actually the same interview uh i read so a couple years after that after uh when he did out of sight Mm -hmm. with george clooney George Clooney would yell at him like, "Hey, it's the Brotherhood," and he was like, "I genuinely had no idea what he meant." Okay. Uh, and then, and then finally, years later, he was like, "Oh, uh, we were Batman. Batman. We we're, yeah. ba- we're both." Batman. I love that Michael Keaton is so low key about his Batman. He's like, <laughs> but the thing about the the Tim Burton movies, um, Batman and Batman Returns, like they're not really about Batman. Like they're about the villains. Yeah, and and that's yeah. I think that's such a. That's such a, like a good choice because like I don't need to like relearn about fucking Batman every single time. Um, I'm not right. gonna, I'm not going to uh, spend the entire podcast on Batman Returns, but I have an argument okay. that everything in Batman Returns is in service of Batman and not of the villains. I know. I mean, th- it's about the villains, but I think everything is sort of a dark reflection. Like Penguin is the true monster that that Batman is, and Selina Kyle is the dark vigilante that is also Batman, and Max Shrek is the ultimate evil version of what Bruce. Wayne right. could be had he not experienced this loss. They are and so all like everything the evil is sort twins of in various aspects. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And uh and and I've I've written about that before and and everything but like I digress. I'm not going to make this all about Batman Returns, but I I do agree that Tim Burton movies are for the most part, mostly about the villains, though I do think he he does a lot with Batman in Part One. I remember showing Dan Batman Returns before he'd seen any of the, and I didn't realize he had never because I was like, "You were a kid once. He must have seen Batman." Right. Dan was never a kid. <laughs> yeah. And um, no. fun fact, no. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so I showed him Batman Returns, and he was like, "Huh, this movie is like not a lot of Batman." 
And yeah. I was like, what are you yeah. talking about? The whole thing's about Batman. And so it was just really funny the way that I interpreted it over the years. I actually showed Batman Returns to a high school class I was teaching about film criticism. And I used it as a two-prong approach to talk about genre and auteur theory because I figured that every kid has seen a Tim Burton movie, so they'd be able to compare and contrast. That worked really well. But they were very upset that I called this a superhero movie because uh, they were like, no, technically, oh. yeah, they were like, no, technically it's a superhero movie, but they felt like it had nothing in common with the superhero movies they watch now. And they were just like, their minds were blown. And I was kind of talking about the idea of genre as an evolution and that this would have been considered a primitive superhero movie because we hadn't quite figured out what are the rules of that. That wasn't really set up until later when we got Spider-Man and Iron Man and they started figuring out what genre, like what the genre expectations needed to be to appease the audience. But they were like, it was just so fun to watch high schoolers have their minds like blown by what this movie is. Cause it's from 1992. <laughs> they hadn't idiots. seen it. Yeah. I was like, let me introduce you to the best movie in cinema. Prepare yourselves. <laughs> you know? um, but yeah, it's, I, I love Batman returns because every time I watch it, I see something else. And like, it's, I, he's always been my Batman and I say that fairly frequently and he's been so chill about that for so many years. But then I got to interview uh, Tom Holland when I, when Spider-Man Homecoming came out and I said, you know, what was it like working with him? And he said, most days he was really casual and really chill. And he said, but there's like one scene in the movie where like Tom Holland says to Michael Keaton's character, like I'm Spider-Man or something. And he said, he turned around and looked me and I went, yeah, but I'm Batman. And he goes, and my heart oh. just, yeah. And I, he's like, my heart was just like, he acted like that was the coolest thing. And I was like, I'm super jealous of you right now, Tom Holland. I, I, I do love, I, yeah, by the way, uh, did you give Tom Holland my number like right, we talked right. about? Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> toast, toast. Good, good. It's happening. It's happening. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's one of the things I kind of love about Michael Keaton as well, is he does have this affinity for Batman. And it doesn't, it's, he definitely doesn't look back on it as like, I mean, it was huge for his career, but also, like, I think he really enjoyed it, and he enjoyed inhabiting that character. He even recently, in in this this year or last year, received an honorary degree from Kent State, where he dropped out oh, of, wow. um, and he delivered the valedictor the the not valedictorian, but the the commencement, commencement speech, speech. Yeah. right? Uh, and he ended it with "I'm Batman." I've got one more thing to say, and it'll only take me a second. I've got two words that I want you all to remember. They're very important. And if I leave you with anything, I'm going to leave you with these two words. And those two words are, I'm Batman. And I love that it has become so iconic because even Christian Bale gets the I'm Batman moment in Batman mm-hmm. Begins. Yeah. And so I like that that's sort of a necessary thing. Also, I, I don't want to talk too much about this movie because it was really bad, but just not bad enough to be my one-star review. He did this movie called Penthouse North, which is on Netflix as Blindsided. Hmm. Um, and there's oh, several Batman references too. in it. And I, then I found out he was executive producer. And oh, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. no, Michael, no. <laughs> you know what? Oh. He tried something. And he flopped. <laughs> He he literally does it. He dies the same way the Joker does, say, and then a cat, a li- yeah, and then a little black cat comes out and like sits on him, and it's just like, come on. He was still like basking in like the afterglow of it, but it, this was like two thousand six or two thousand later. Yeah. Two thousand was yeah. he punking us? Like yeah. what the fuck? It's a very uh, weird. Anyways, movie. Uh, just to get into his personal life around this time, uh, because you can tell what what sort of happens. Michael Keaton's in terms of interviews hates him hates tries to be as private Mm -hmm. of a person as possible he is in the height of his success moved to fucking montana right he where he lives 
Um, and and that's because he loves to fish. He, exactly, he does. He loves to fish. He loves to be in the woods. Uh, he marries Caroline McWilliams in 1982, and then in 1990 they divorce. And clearly there were some problems because he was also in 89 he starts dating Courtney Cox. That's a problem. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and he's with Courtney Cox until 1995. Um, he later goes on to date Michelle Pfeiffer for a very small amount of time. But I'm glad that they had their. Batwoman, yeah. their Batman, Catwoman moment. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. From his first marriage, from his marriage with Carol McWilliams, he he has one son, uh, Sean, uh, who was born in 1983, uh, same year as me, and uh, and uh, b- before we move on into everything else, I do want to say he is his son's number one fan. And I think it's so adorable. He will often bring his son as a date to award shows with him. Like cool. he like he came to um the Golden Globes in which he won for Birdman and he like tearfully thanked him in his speech Aww. and it's so nice. My best friend is kind, intelligent, funny, talented, considerate, thoughtful. Did I say kind? He also He also happens to be my son, Sean. I love you with all my heart, buddy. This is for all those people. Um, For all of them. Sorry. Shoot. Two things I said I wasn't going to do. Cry and give air quotes. Sean Keaton has a career of his own. He's a... He's a Grammy-nominated multi-platinum uh, songwriter. Um, oh, he's produced for Madonna, um, as as uh, the Backstreet Boys, the Veronicas, like he, Christina Aguilera. He has a great career. That's awesome. Yeah. So just throwing it out there for uh, the the headlines often refer to to him, Sean, as Michael Keaton's hot son. Oh my he, god, he's, he's hot. Real, yeah, he's good looking. Look him up. Look him up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he, he's very handsome. He's taller than Michael Keaton, which is a little wow. surprising. Uh, but yeah, he's he's Michael Keaton's only kid, and he's clearly a very much devoted father. I mean, he's handsome, but he's no Michael Keaton. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say, like, hot. <laughs> but he's tall. Guys, what if Michael Keaton listens to this? What are you saying about his kid? Like, he's just he's tall fine. and white. He's fine. <laughs> his Yeah, his son is, um, is fine. He's not Michael Keaton. Like his the, hair. Uh, what is what is this hair? That's not eighties hair. He's like spiking it. I I have no patience for this. <laughs> um so uh the 90s becomes kind of a weird time for Michael Keaton. Uh I mentioned the Batman films. Uh he does uh weird thrillers. He does this movie called Pacific Heights. Uh, he does barf. this like tearjerker cop drama called One Good Cop. He does My Life, in which he plays a man dying. It's one of Nicole Kidman's first breakout roles, um, playing his wife. He does The Paper with Ron Howard, which is kind of, like, supposed to be, like, the life in 24 hours of working in a newspaper that somehow turns into basically a slapstick comedy at the mm-hmm. at the end. Um, it's amazing, multiplicity, which Like, I... I like, it, it, it is. But... I, I was shocked when I was reading all these things that were like, oh my god, it's this dissection of what it's like to work for a newspaper for 24 hours. And I was like, really? I mean, I, mean, I is, work at a newspaper also... and I was like, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny because like I recently got into like a bunch of like a bunch of film critics were talking recently about how good the paper is and how it still holds up. I think it was actually last year when the post came out that people were talking about. They're like, eh, it's not the paper. And it's like really the paper 
got across that kind of sense of uh, just you know the mania and the and the what what it is to be under deadline and it's like um broadcast news but for a newspaper you know what i mean yeah like yeah. it has that kind De- of energy definitely. to it and, and and the one thing i will say that i really actually appreciate in the paper is ron howard when he first received the script was like there's too many men in this movie yeah. and so glenn close's character what they did is they just changed her name and the pronouns but left everything the same oh that's yeah. awesome so, I think her character's name was Alan, and then it's changed to Alicia. Yeah, and it's great because, you know, she's seen doing these things that are very, like, kind of stereotypical male. She's cheating on her husband. She's, you know, going in there asking, demanding a raise. She gets into a physical Physical fight. And when I watched it, I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, they are going there. Like, her and Michael Keaton are beating the shit out of each other, and it's just like... This is a work conflict. (laughs) (laughs) This is gender politics. Fuck it. So he does this, you know, he does... He, he does some family movies like Jack Frost. He does the two Elmore Leonard movies, Jackie Brown and Out of Sight, where he's sort of the connective tissue between them, even though they don't really feel like they maybe necessarily take place in the same universe. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, but that, his career starts to get kind of... Well, like, none of those movies make as much money right. as, you know, Batman stuff does. Right. Uh, nothing, like, re- even if, like, movies are well-received, they're not, like, making as big a splash, I think, as Hollywood, like, is like, wait, why is it Michael Keaton, you know, yeah. making Michael Keaton money? Um, 2000s come around, and he has a, like, right off the bat in the 2000s, he actually has a big hit with an HBO movie called Live from Baghdad. He gets nominated for a Golden Globe. Um, but then... He becomes the person that you know, Louis, and he's like America's dad. He does this string of movies, even movies that are like, you know, like he does the supernatural thriller White Noise. But like, other than that, he's doing like First Daughter, Herbie Fully Loaded. Uh, towards the end of the of the first decade of the 2000s, he does Postgrad with Alexis Pladell. Uh, I could not. Uh, okay. <laughs> Who's in Postgrad as like their, um, the grandma? Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Who's amazing. She's <laughs> the best part of that movie. I don't know how Alexis Bledel got this role or like, I don't know what executive was like, I like that Gilmore girl. Let's give her a movie. Um, and also like this movie, there's like cursing in this movie. It's, yeah. it's a very, I don't know who this movie's for. No, I don't know who that movie was for. Um, but uh, there, there's a couple of those in his career. I'll be honest. Right. But Michael Keaton and Carl Burnett together. I'm not mad. And yeah. and then weirdly enough, uh, he does one of his his biggest hits, which you wouldn't expect to be one of his biggest hits because I don't think you think of his name attached to it. Two thousand six is Cars, yeah, for he's Pixar, in Cars, and it makes a ton of money. Uh huh. And Louis and I did a Pixar episode. I don't think either of us talked about Michael Keaton in nope. Cars. <laughs> like, I don't when you think of Cars. Played, to be fair, I've never made it through Cars. All you think of is Cars is Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, I fall asleep during Cars wow, every time. I don't blame you. Yeah. You're like I tried I it again, but no. Yeah, you're like, I'm even looking. It's like it says he plays Chick Hicks. I'm like, okay, that means nothing. Sure. I don't know who that is, but thank you so yeah. much. Um, the the weird the weirdest thing that happens in the 2000s that no one talks about. He signs on to play the lead role in a TV series under yeah. under the agreement that the that the character won't be in the series for very much. And that is the character of Jack Shepard in the TV show Lost. Jack Shepard, who's the main character yes. of Lost. Uh, oh, they wow. They came back to him. They had retooled the script. And they were like, he's going to be in the whole thing. And Michael Keaton was like, uh, no, thank you. Bye. <laughs> um, and Matthew Fox is cast in the role. Yeah, and like Lost becomes a huge hit. And like, yeah. you know, people love it. Um, I can't imagine a world where Michael Keaton 
uh, it had been like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Like, what would his career be like now if he had done six Ugh. whole seasons of Lost? Like, what? Yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah. Um, and uh, didn't they, they and have then, to continue to live on Hawaii? Like, that seems like very not his speed. Right. Yeah, he was been like, no, 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 I'm fine. <laughs> I'm gonna, no, I prefer um, being in the middle of nowhere. Thanks, bye. <laughs> uh, he he does a TV miniseries in 2007 called The Company, which gets gets great reviews and has a Screen Actors Guild nomination. Um, and then he does the voice of Ken in Toy Story Three, Love that. sticking with Pixar. And he shows Genius. up in the movie. He shows up in the movie The Other Guys, which Louie and I talk yes. about in our buddy cop episode. He is still the best part of the movie. He is the other so guys. fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. When he starts like just saying the lines to waterfalls, yes. I fucking lose it. <laughs> this case is talking to us. I'm a peacock, Captain. You gotta let me fly on this one. You know what, Terry? Let's just settle this. Peacocks don't fly. They fly, they fly a little bit. Yeah. They get a real run. About start. as much as a penguin. One more thing. Do me a favor. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Is that accidental, or were you trying to quote TLC on purpose? I don't even understand the reference. You don't understand what you said? I don't know what that is. Get out. And then, and then, Michael Keaton's back, baby! Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> he takes the lead in Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, in 2014, and literally everybody's like, what? Where, where did he come yeah. from? Where has he been? L- and L- the, all the stories and all the articles written about it are like, where has Michael Keaton been? And, like, he's back. Yeah. And- and as we've found out through this research process, he didn't fucking go mm-hmm. anywhere. He right. just was making not so great choices. He was making so many choices. movies. Yeah. Yeah. Remember RoboCop, guys? Need for Speed? Oh, I saw both of those. Wow. You yeah. know, for the record, it... he is good in both. Yeah. Oh, well, but they're I, still not great movies. I, I was going to say, uh, if if I hadn't done my research this over this last, you know, two weeks that we've had, I would have given RoboCop remake his my one-star review, because I think he's so bad in the remake of RoboCop. I saw both those <laughs> movies on my list, and I said, no, thank you. I'm not going to watch those. <laughs> no, no, no. Um... <laughs> but uh so anyways uh yeah that... Birdman blows up he like he gets like nominations for everything he wins a bunch of awards yeah yeah and that's and that's really sort of the where it's at when in terms of Birdman um and after that you know Spotlight uh he does The Founder the movie about the McDonald's and uh he awful gets awful fucking guy yeah awful yes and then on July 28th uh 2016 he gets a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and his son does the intro speech for him. Oh. That's very sweet. Um and then as you mentioned 2017 he does Spider-Man. This year he's been working on uh both the big screen adaptation of Dumbo directed reteaming him with Tim Burton um as well as playing the vulture again in the sequel to Spider-Man. Yeah. We don't know what the extent to his role is going to be in that, but it's still kind of a big deal. Right. Um especially when superhero movies are so keen on killing off villains, let me tell you, there is nothing I hate more, and this includes the Tim Burton Batman movies, than watching a supervillain die in a movie. Just like so much mm-hmm. wasted potential. Put them in a jail. Right. Put them in a jail. That's what they do in comic books. Right. It was also part of what was so cool about Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, I did the set visit for that, and mostly because, like, I knew Michael Keaton was in it. I was like, well, I get to meet Michael Keaton. Will Michael Keaton be there? I'll go wherever you <laughs> want. Where's Michael Keaton? And, uh, you know, set visits are for people that aren't super aware. It's usually, like, six to sometimes, like, 20 people in a room that are all press that are... So you're just sharing time with a ton of people and you all get the same answers. And, like, this was a Marvel set visit, so there were a ton of people there. I think there were 18 of us. And uh, I sat right up front because I was like, I will speak to Michael Keaton. <laughs> and I was really excited. And I, I asked him about, like, what the character... Because they had said something about, like, oh, this character has, like, a political motive. And, you know, the it was shot... 
the, I know the presidential election was happening, but I forget if it was like right before the final push or if it was the year before that. But I remember it was like August when we did the set visit. And he was like not a fan of Trump, but he said that he felt like the vulture was a character that like would vote for Trump. And he didn't say that explicitly. Like he never actually said Trump, but he kept talking about like, well, where we're at now, we're at this place where there are like blue collar people who feel like they're not being taken care of and that the government doesn't care about them. And there are certain people that are making these claims that they can just fix everything for them. And, you know, and he was like saying different things and like making it very clear what he was saying without, it was very kind of frustrating. Like you can tell he's very suspicious, suspicious of the press because when I tried to pin down and actually write about what he was saying, I was like, these quotes don't, add up to what I'm saying they say but like in the moment right. you knew what they were saying which might be a Pennsylvania thing because my mom does the same thing but like <laughs> it was really fascinating where he was talking about it and in the vulture like the vulture in the in the movie you understand where he's coming from like here Tony Stark destroyed New York as far as he sees it because like yeah like the the battle went to New York because that's where Tony was and then all this destruction happened. And yes, the Avengers cleaned up New York because there was like Chachari tech and stuff that would not have been safe in civilian hands. However, that doesn't matter to the contractor who like, you know, booked the job and is now maybe going to go broke. And like, I thought the way they set up that whole thing, like you really understood why the Vulture was so angry. And it's like you couldn't really blame him for the tact he chose to make. And he right. wasn't even like he was... He, he did accidentally murder a guy, which is hard, but, like, he was, like, not <laughs> trying to, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, even just the reveal of that, because I did that set visit, and they're, like, on Marvel set visits, they're very much like, here's what we will tell you. And you know that there's some big secret room somewhere, like, you don't get to know any of these secrets. <laughs> but, like, on Spider-Man, we thought we had figured out what the secrets were. We were wrong on absolutely every count. Like, we thought yeah. we knew what they were hiding. And when I saw that movie for the press screening and they, like, opened the door for, to, like, Liz's house <gasps> and there he is. Oh, my like, God. I screamed. I had no idea. I Same. screamed. I was, And it was, like, I thought it was so well set up. And then it was, like, not only did you get him as the vulture, but you got that amazing scene where he is a supervillain, but he's also the dad of, like, mm -hmm. a girl's boyfriend. Yeah. Right? You know? I, if you I guys just got remember, that screwed up. The boyfriend's La girl. If you remember last year's um, roundup of our best and worst picks of the year, yeah, I explicitly talked about um, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Gavin hated it. I didn't. I didn't hate it. I just don't like it. But I was like, I that scene of the vulture in the car dropping them off at the prom, and literally he turns mm -hmm. and he's just like, Peter, nothing is more important than family. You saved my daughter's life, and I could never forget something like that. So I'm gonna give you one chance. Are you ready? walk through those doors you forget any of this happened and don't you ever ever interfere with my business again because if you do i'll kill you and everybody you love i'll kill you dead that's what i'll do to protect my family pete you understand hey you just saved your life nobody say Thank you. You're welcome. Now, you go on in there, you show my daughter a good time, okay? Just not too good. It's, oh, it's so good. It's so upsetting. And like, yeah, that I just, that was really exciting too, because I think with Birdman, people took it really literally that he was like against superhero movies. 
And it's like, no, like if that movie, superhero movies are, are a symbol to talk about Hollywood at large and talking about like empty spectacle. That doesn't necessarily think he means every superhero movie is empty spectacle. And I feel like he found a way to get back into superhero movies that gave a message, like whether everybody's going to catch that message in the midst of like what is a really fun teen comedy. Sure. But like, I feel like and we can get into this later, but I I feel like with like Spider-Man Homecoming, the founder spotlight and even Birdman, like he's he's making vert like overtly political films that are like talking about and using his persona as like an everyman in a way that's making us have to like request like question how we are viewing things today and like right. that's part of what I get really excited about his stuff. Uh but before we move into our picks, uh, I do want to say um, he hasn't won that many awards, but he has been nominated many times. Amongst the major awards, um, he has been he's had uh, twenty five nominations over the years. Um, he's been nominated for an Academy Award. He has been nominated twice for the Golden Globes Awards. He won once for Birdman. Um, he has been nominated for Primetime Emmy Awards once. And for the Screen Actors Guild, he's been nominated four times and won twice, both for the cast of Birdman and for the cast of Spotlight. I think that would bring us into our reviews. I think we should do our one-star reviews. One-star reviews it is. Yeah. four potential ones because I wasn't sure. I didn't want to like double up, but I don't know. Okay. Um, let me just, I'm going to say the squeeze. The squeeze was really bad. Yeah. yeah no. Squeeze is real I, bad. Yeah. I like, like I had never heard of it before. And when I watched it, I was like, oh, that's why that's, that's why <laughs> it's not good. It doesn't like make good use of him. Cause he's not an everyman. He's like this sketchy, gross artist who like is like a gambler and is really like misogynistic to this, like, a uh, wannabe detective who's on his tail, uh, which apparently yeah. she's a skip tracer, and the movie was originally going to be called Skip Tracers, but then they realized that's a terrible title, so I guess <sighs> the squeeze is better. I I just, like, there were parts of this movie I couldn't follow, and I didn't understand what was happening, and then, like, Meatloaf is in it as the sweatiest, like, I know. muscle ever. Yeah. Oh, it's just, like, his name's, like, Titus, and they keep being like, Titus doesn't like it when you do that. <laughs> and then at the end, he does speak, which was weird, uh, but the only thing I liked about it, I think, is that he dies. I, I texted Gavin. I was like, he dies like a kaiju. Like, there's for, for reasons I don't understand a massive, like, Empire State Building miniature in this place. It's, like, yeah. several feet tall, but at the top, it's a lighter. And he falls on it when attacking the female lead in it. And dies saying something weird to her about how she's pretty or something. We, I we could have been happy together. It's like something like we could have been happy right? together. And it's like, oh, was that? It's, it's like you were about <laughs> to murder her. Like I like none of that made sense. And then I thought the movie was like almost over because you had killed off several of the bad guys. And it just kept going. And then it's like, you know, he's grown as a character because he says something like, um, well, there's this great girl, pardon me, woman who uh -huh, wants to be a detective. Uh -huh, and yeah. I think she will be now. And I was just like, oh, none of can, this is good. Like, can I just it, it bring wasn't up, like fun. Can I just bring up real quick, by the way, before we move out of Dong Chong, by the way, she is so age inappropriate for him. And I know like when, yeah. when you when you find out the age difference, it's literally like 10 years. It's not even that bad. But she looks like she's 14 in this yeah. movie. And he like, yeah, she I just don't want them touching each other. I mean, I feel like they were. I, yeah, I will. I will commend them for casting a like POC woman in yeah. that part. But like they literally mm -hmm. she's such a damsel slash they like. 
they aggressively are like she's such a wannabe. She like yeah. is incompetent at every turn of what she's doing. Um, yeah, and the, the the whole thing is about like the lottery, and they have this device. There's like a super magnet. A su- yeah. yeah, a super. They're like you don't even know what that is, and you think it's gonna be a bomb or something. And it's like no, it's just a magnet to pull lottery numbers. <laughs> it pulls the lottery da- numbers. Yeah, danger. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, bad movie. Hate it. Yeah, it's just like. And I get that she's supposed to be, like, younger, and her not being jaded is, like, part of what wins him over or whatever, and it just never really works because he's just a jerk to her from, like, moment one, and then they don't have any chemistry, and the whole movie is so... It's so aggressively 80s in the way where she's this, like, sexy nag, and, like, he's gonna (laughs) teach her a lesson by teaching her to lighten up. That's the best description. That's so good. It's just... It's so offensive, and it's, like, a thing you see in a lot of those those kind of, like, action comedies at the time where, like, the female is only there to be, like, your idea is terrible, or be, like, mm, you're pretty hot. Like, that's, like, literally the only thing she gets to do, and it's just, it's not good. It's, like, it's not even fun in a kind of, like, cheesy 80s way because the plot is so just inexplicable. I will admit the one the one part that really made me laugh was when they're on the beach and he's like and then we get the magnet and we we do the crime ourselves and she's like we can't do that because i gotta turn it in do you think the police would believe us <laughs> what police will we give him the black box in the ball oh you're so cute <laughs> we're not gonna give anything to anybody <laughs> least of all the police don't be silly what else can we do with that we're gonna buy a ticket you can't do that that's illegal uh-oh Okay, let's take a walk. That's the only scene I like, because he's like, uh, we could literally be millionaires, and who's getting hurt here? And I was like, I mean, it's I not a yeah. yeah, I was like, uh, That's a good, very good pick. I, yeah, I, uh, I absolutely think that's a great one-star review. Louis? Um, my pick, I it was a down to the wire for me. Um, I watched it today, um, and my pick is Gung Ho. Um, I don't know if you guys saw Gung Ho. <laughs> Um, it was a in really the eighties. Fin- I have not seen it in a very long time. I, yeah, I've not seen it since either. I it's, did not rewatch it. It, it came out in nineteen eighty six, uh, directed by Ron Howard. Um, and Gung Ho is about uh, Michael Keaton's character who is like is in a small town and they have an auto factory and um, he is like their leader, but like I think I guess he's a foreman of the factory and uh, it's owned mm-hmm. by a Japanese con- uh, company and they're threatening to shut it down and it's up to him to kind of like bridge the divide between like this crazy Japanese culture and um and and you the movie does a lot of work to like show you like Japanese um uh, uh, uh like um managers are so crazy and they want you to like do jumping jacks and like um be proud of the company the movie's just really um aggressively racist yes um, uh, that's the one that was the that was the thing I remembered about it I was like if there's one thing I know about gung ho is that the racism is a feature not yeah, a bug yes um, <laughs> yeah Gary Watanabe who you might know um from 16 candles as yes. long Duck dong yeah. um is the kind of like mirror of Michael Keaton's movie he is the Japanese manager who is like making uh or not making but like he's they come to America to like reform this factory, and it's a, it's a lot of like union shots, like and yelling men being like, "Yeah, America, fuck yeah, bleh. we don't gotta do what those Japanese mm-hmm. tell us to do," and like Michael Keaton being like, "Come on, guys, we gotta like play nice," and then in the end, we'll do we'll fucking win. Um, Gary Watanabe is from Utah. Um, he does not know Japanese, and it's so clear because his accent, they make him in this movie pretend to know Japanese and speak it. His accent comes and goes 
from like just a normal English to insane Japanese all the time. And he also says, there's a line in this movie that says, um, he says, what does he say? He's like, oh, back in Japan, we go to sumo games all the time. And I was like, sumo games? I think they're sumo, they're matches. They're not games. No, Louis, they're sumo games, don't you know? It, the, the movie, is. there's a lot of just like, I'm not going to repeat <laughs> some of the racist shit that they say uh, about making fun of, like, these Japanese characters. The Japanese in this movie are, like, portrayed as, like, very stuffy, no fun. Yeah. Uh, see, you're stateside now, fellas, and tell you the truth, you're still acting like a bunch of Yokohama mamas. No offense. None taken. Can I, can I be frank for a second? <laughs> I've heard a lot of talk about uh, how good the Japanese businessmen are. Quite frankly, I'm sorry. I don't get it. I don't see it. I'm not impressed. Not one I order. You're fired. What? The only one good portion of this is at the very end when Michael Keaton is caught in a lie and he's like, all you guys wanted to fucking hear was how America was better than Japan and we're fucking not. They're kicking our ass at this, okay? And you guys just didn't see that. And I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, but like literally the entire rest of the movie is just... Trash, 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 and I'm glad you both didn't rewatch it because mm-hmm. it is a waste of time and it is like just essentially <laughs> a awful like repainting of American exceptionalism and um it needs to not ever be watched by anyone ever. So there's that. <laughs> uh, so that, I guess that brings us to my one star review, uh, which is later in his career and and it, but like thank God for Birdman for bringing him back because my one star review is the 2006 film The Last Time. The last time. Yes. I know you saw this, Christy. I watched that too. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, because it's what made me start following you on Letterboxd. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, uh, I started a Letterbox that night, I think, as I watched that, is I think actually how that happened. That's amazing. Oh yeah. my god, I kept seeing this on my Amazon Prime, and I was like, no, I don't want to see this. this yeah, it's crazy. really bad. You don't. Um, yeah. So Michael Keaton plays a salesman who's a complete asshole. Okay. Um, unjustified. Like, literally, I, they give him a backstory in this movie, and I was just like, so is this why he's an asshole? Or no, it's just that he's an asshole. And he works for a company, and I, I genuinely, like, I hated this movie so much that I don't remember what the company is selling. <laughs> but he's essentially saddled with this new hire, played by Brendan Fraser, giving the career-worst performance of Brendan oh, Fraser. Oh, poor Brendan. Like, this would be his one-star review as well. Oh, um, and Hasn't he been through enough, Gavin? I know. And he's he's supposedly uh, a top seller uh, who's moved east with his uh, fiance Belisa, which I also, the first time they said her name was like, I was like, that's not a real that's name. That's not a name. Um, who, I kept being like, I'm hearing this wrong. What is her name? What is, <laughs> you're like, no, is still, it Melissa? Still missing it. I actually looked it up and was like, hmm. Um, okay. Choices. So Belisa's played exactly. Belisa's played by Amber Valletta, who I've literally never heard of before, and I think was had to be the la- very last choice for this role. Like, I oh, and I feel bad. Oh. I'm just trashing this movie, but but so essentially, Brendan Fraser is not good at his job. Keeps getting drunk, fucking up sales. Western bad suit and stupid haircut and motherfucking prick! You know how important that fucking guy is to us? I'm just trying to be like you. What? Wow. You really are a fucking loser. 
Michael Keaton starts having an affair with Brendan Fraser's fiance, and the company's going downhill. On the same bed. Yeah, on the same like, bed. That's yeah, I should point that out. Like, they bring him home drunk and passed out, and then they have sex literally right next to him. Yes. Fine. Yeah. Cool. Um, that scene is so much. Yeah. And, like, the company's starting to go under. The Essentially, like, the Chicago market's going to go under if they don't make these sales. And Daniel Stern plays the boss in it. And there are some scenes between, even without Michael Keaton, between Brennan Fraser and uh, Daniel Stern that I was just like... So this movie's a comedy, right? right? This is a comedy? What's going on? Am I missing this? Um, and uh, essentially what happens is everybody gets let go. The The branch gets shut down. And and I'm going to spoil this for you because I yeah, I, genuinely, do I, I genuinely don't think it's a critic's job to tell you not to see a movie. But please do not give this movie any money. <laughs> like, don't rent this movie on iTunes. Do not, like, get it from YouTube. Um, you find out that Brendan Fraser and his fiance were hired by a completely new character you have never met in your life. Okay. To take down this company uh, by basically getting all of the salesmen fired. And mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser was an actor, and so was his fiance. And they're they're like at this hoity-toity party full of people who have done this to other other people. And while Brendan Fraser's like regaling people. them. Oh, go on. Yeah, they're like literally bragging. Like, they're like the one woman's like, "It wasn't too hard to get him back on the nose candy. It was easy from there." Like, people oh. are literally <laughs> saying stuff like that. Like, they all just walked out of a, not even Mamet, uh, like a Neil Lebuke play. Like, that's yes. all of a sudden all these characters come from, and they're just and, saying and horrible it's... things. Like, yeah, that bitch in Chicago still thinks she's pregnant with my baby. Ha ha. Oh my god. Yeah, and, and my favorite was is the guy that hired Brendan Fraser, which once again, and correct me if I'm wrong, we we never see that character before that scene, right? No, you do, but it's like oh, we do? it's like they go to a conference and he's giving some speech and Brendan Fraser's like what that old fat jackass is That's the guy right. who makes all this money. I, that I is literally the only that. other time he's introduced, I think. Cuz like I remember that I was just like that guy from the stage like it's like such a throwaway <laughs> moment um and and i do feel like they like seed those moments th- they think they've seeded them throughout it like there's there's a moment well, like, where I knew something was up yeah because otherwise what is this plot right. like otherwise the the stakes the plots are so low stakes where it's like oh uh brendan frisher can't make a sale and his girlfriend thinks he's a loser and you're like okay right. so there has to be more to this this is really boring and i didn't expect it to be exactly that but i thought i thought it was that he was going to basically like act like he didn't know what he was doing so that he could steal that guy's clients and it was like oh he was just acting like what he was doing so he could steal his clients but then like the clients would leave the company like that was the right. only part i hadn't figured out but i was like oh that's still really dumb it's just it's so incoherent and again it's another one of the ones where she's so much younger than him and the fact that the first time they hook up is when like literally her her like fiance is passed out next to them i was like I what like what do you want me to be feeling because I just the whole movie I'm just like low-key repulsed and then in the end when like when Brendan Fraser shows up with his hair slicked back and a leather coat I was like oh stop it like yeah exactly 
and and like there's there's so <sighs> many issues like the, the score of the movie sounded like it was from any movie post 9 p.m on cinemax oh okay, like good. it literally <laughs> sounded like a softcore porn score that movie is trash from start to finish and it it like never like some movies that are bad like i i was actually gonna pick up i had a bunch of the movies lined up post grad i thought was one of his worst performances okay uh desperate measures a movie in which him and andy garcia he i have seen that he, he plays a serial killer in this movie who sound like who's supposed to be a super genius but sounds like billy bob thornton and sling blade (laughs) but this movie took the cake far and away far and away yeah so that being said i think it's time we move into our five star reviews please Returns is my favorite of his movies. Like, okay. I feel like the founder is really strong. I personally really like Birdman, but Batman Returns, I could watch over and over and over again. But it feels weird to pick that because he's, like, as we said, he's not in it a ton. So I'm torn on this. I don't know. <laughs> but Batman Returns, like, he will always be my Batman, but it was also that, like, he played Batman as a version that I felt like people could understand because, like, his Bruce Wayne is this guy who has all this money and this privilege and stuff like that, and it sounds like a fantasy, but then you see he can't connect to anybody, and, like, the romance that you thought was set up with Vicky Vale in the first one, like, clearly went to shit, and now it's, like, he's connecting with this woman who is exciting but also deranged, but, like, they're perfectly deranged for each other, but, like, in the end when he goes to her and he basically says, like, you know, we could give this up and be together, and she has that whole speech about, like, I'd love to come with you and be in your castle... But it's like, no, she wouldn't. That's not who either of them are. That wouldn't make either of them happy. Like, they both, as broken as they are, like, need to be on these paths right now. And um, I just, I don't know. I think it's an incredibly beautiful movie. I think it's so weird. And I think it's so cool that it exists. Because it's like, even watching it now, you're like, how did anyone let them make this movie? (laughs) Totally, totally. And if you read it... Ugh. And if you read about it, it's like, you know, McDonald's was angry because they wanted to sell, like, toys. And they were like, who is going to buy a weird dominatrix Catwoman toy? And the answer is me, McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, like, even as, a, like, watching it now, like, I'm, I've made jokes about, like, that my bisexuality was born watching Batman Returns. Because, like, good oh. God. I, like, yeah. Hello? Him, oh, yeah. I mean, Catwoman I, and I Batman also and the scene. My bisexuality yeah. was born watching Batman Returns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's just like, but it's still so good. And like, I love watching it as like, I, I just think Catwoman is masterful. It's probably my favorite Michelle Pfeiffer performance too. Cause like, it just, it's this film about like when society is going off the rails and when the people we're supposed to think are admirable and that we're supposed to be able to trust in, like cannot be trusted. What do you do? And to see how three different people interact or like three, I mean, I guess Max Shrek too, but I feel like he's really the symbol of what's wrong. You know, I mean, everybody compares everything to trump but he is the he is trump right like he's this businessman who has like no ethics and is only concerned about his bottom line and will literally like flush anyone down the toilet so he doesn't have to deal with them or throw someone out a window like he's he's only interested in number one and like to see how different people respond to it like bruce wants to fix the system but by working outside of it uh then you know, uh, the penguin wants to take advantage of the system and even like his morbid celebrity, he's like exercising so that he can get power and take over. But then the whole time he still has his weird enemies list where he's like, I also just want to drown all the firstborn in Gotham. Like that's dark. And then Catwoman just wants to burn it all down because like in any of those scenarios, it's still just some horrid dude that would kill a girl if she get looks at him wrong. Like, so screw it. And like, 
I'm not going to lie. Yeah, my I remember... dark feminist heart loves the fantasy of that. I was going to say, I remember like watching and being like, was this the role that Danny DeVito was born to play? <laughs> because it is batshit insane. And like, and uh, I mean, I, they're kind of explained in the movie that like the penguin is this, I don't want to say freak, but like deformed baby. And that's yeah. why he is was given up. And essentially he like, was born with mal- malformed hands, right? Right. With flippers. I mean, with, mm-hmm. with some other features as well. That nose, the, <laughs> right, like, right, right. constantly vomiting bile. I remember reading years ago that Danny DeVito said that he did the movie because he's friends with Jack Nicholson, and Jack Nicholson was oh. like, "It's great. Like, it's not a lot of, it's not a lot of hassle. They put some makeup on you. You go and do <laughs> it." And then Danny DeVito was in eight hours of makeup yeah, every day yeah. and was like, basically, like, "Fuck you, Jack. Oh, Jack, you got to wear like white makeup." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, which is funny because Jack Nicholson was also in the makeup chair for a really long time. So I love the fact that he was just like blatantly lying. Uh-huh. To, uh, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, it wasn't, I wasn't, that couldn't have been an easy thing for him either. Um, uh, amazing. Before, before we move on, just real quick. Uh, one of the things that I love about Michael Keaton's performance in Batman Returns 2 is like how non, like he is n- not a person that's his, his Batman isn't, possessed by anger like every other batman is sort of portrayed yeah like he has some of my favorite moments in the movie the the scene where he's trying to get away from the police and the batmobile he he like sees the alleyway and he's gonna press the button that turns the batmobile into the bat missile and it doesn't work right away and he's he's just like now i'm worried and he just (laughs) says that like and it's just such a clever aside yeah, it was an interesting evolution from the first movie, too, because in the first movie, I mean, he's literally throwing people off buildings and stuff, and he's a very angry guy, and I thought it was an interesting change that he's still using this tool to fight back against injustice, but it's coming from a different place. And to yeah. even just see the vulnerability, like, physically and emotionally, where, like, they're making out on the couch, and she, like, touches his scar, and he touches her. Or, oh, like, one of my favorite scenes. Whatever, and they kind of both... Yeah, it's so good. And then it's just, like... I read um, they did a retrospective because it's like we've go- gone past the 25th year anniversary. I think Hollywood Reporter did it. And uh, Michael Keaton said that he actually cut a lot of his lines. Like they were like, can we do this where I don't say these things? Because he felt like they didn't need to be that talky that he could get across what this performance was. So he actually made his role in the movie smaller, which is an interesting sacrifice that I don't think you see a lot of stars ever do. Yeah, no, But I but think it, it does make the movie stronger. Because yeah. it is about Batman, as you pointed out, it's about Batman in so many respects. It doesn't have to be all about his performance. Yeah, and I think th- I think that is definitely worthy of a five star review. Then, especially for a performance, because he knew when to bring it back and yeah. not make it so showy. Um, and just how the the scene where, and I mean, like it's showier for for Michelle, and I and I feel like she is the stronger performer in this, if only because she gets to do stuff that is so subversive. It's just so exciting to watch from a female perspective. But, like, the scene where they realize who they are at that party, yes. the, and my, she clings uh, to him and says, like... One of my favorite scenes like, in, what do we in do the now? history of cinema. So yeah. Let me ask you something. Why'd you come tonight? You first. See you. That's lovely. And I really wish I could say the same, but I came from Max. Not you and Max. (laughs) No, No. this and Max. 
now. Don't give me a killing max won't solve anything speech because it will. Aren't you tired of this sanctimonious Robert Baron always coming out on top when he should be six feet under? I'm sure you have a lot of problems with your boss, but I mean, who the hell do you think you are? I don't know anymore, Bruce. <laughs> It's under the mistletoe. No. Mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. I guess it can be even deadly. Oh my god. Does this mean we have to start fighting? He's done amazing things. Like, I think he's outstanding in Beetlejuice and Johnny Dangerously and all these movies where he's totally over the top. But, like, just the quiet panic in that scene where they're holding each other and they're, like, trying to figure out what do we do. It's so beautiful. And it's just... I love how he can go from, like, zero to 60 in that regard. You know, even in the first Batman where he's like, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. And he, like, smashes stuff. Like, to me, that was such... That's just so key Keaton where you can see him switch that... Make that switch. So yeah, yeah I, Batman Returns is just, it's my favorite Christmas movie. It's one of my favorite movies ever. And I guess it's my favorite Keaton. There you go. Um, my five-star review, we talked a little bit about actually, and I agree that Beetlejuice is, I can't imagine anyone else being Beetlejuice, but I am a sucker for um, these movies. Uh, my five-star review is for the paper, actually. Um, I... Yay! It's a great performance. It really is. I and and the, what really clinched it for me is the the amazing scene. So he is the metro editor at a fictionalized tabloid paper in New York City, and he is uh his wife Marissa Tomei um is a reporter, but she's on leave because she's pregnant, and he goes to interview at the uh, New York Herald, I think. And that's like the it's basically the Times, and so it's a more quote unquote respectable newspaper. And he ends up getting caught up in the um, excitement of the day uh, at the tabloid that he kind of, in the end, just uses the interview to, like, get some information about a story they're cooking up. And the other newspaper finds out and he's like, well, congratulations, you just, you could have worked, uh, you could have covered the world. Well, I hope you're satisfied, asshole. You just blew your chance to cover the world. Really? Well, guess fucking what? I don't really fucking care. You want to know fucking why? Because I don't fucking live in the fucking world. I live in fucking New York City. So go fuck yourself. And I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> um, so yeah. that, that's, that scene, by the way, the other actor in that scene is Spalding Gray, who was a monologuist whom I loved and unfortunately took his own life um, a couple of years ago. But that's when I was watching those scenes, I was so happy to see Michael Keaton in a scene with Spalding Gray. I was like, yes, yeah. yes. I mean, and so <laughs> if you don't, I mean, I, I work at a tabloid newspaper and I was just like, this is too fucking real. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so the paper came out in um, 1994. It's also a Ron Howard movie. So yes. I literally chose for my worst and best both Ron Howard <laughs> movies. So cool. Um, 
<laughs> it was written by Stephen Kopp, who is a senior editor at Time Magazine. Um, and so they wanted to write a day in the life at a newspaper. And it, it's, it, it, and that's essentially it. It follows the story about, um, there was a shooting. The, 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 there's a car full of like these kind of white yuppie um, yeah. business dudes. And there's, um, like, I don't want to, they're not racial slurs, calling someone a cracker is not a slur. No, no, but, but it's like, like, like whitey scrawled on the Yeah, car. there's like spray paint, and like, these two black kids happen to be walking by, and so it's following this story about, um, you know, what happened to these, you know, it's it's very much like race tensions are rising in in America. Yeah, and, and, like, it, and it takes place, that portion of the movie takes place in Williamsburg. Yeah, Which yeah. is very close to where we are right now. Yeah, it's, it's and it's, it's wild because thinking about like 1994 Williamsburg, right. where it's like now, like back then they were like, oh, going to Brooklyn, never. Um, yeah. But the cast is just stacked. Um, Catherine O'Hara makes an a appearance. Cameo. Yeah, I will say, watching Michael Keaton's career is 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 like watching a a path in which we fucked over Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, because this movie is post Beetlejuice, and it's just like she's making a fucking cameo in this movie. She also did a movie with him in 2006, which I couldn't find anywhere. It just recently played Metrograph called Game Six, mm. and she plays his wife. And I guarantee it's a small role yeah. as well. Um, I don't like the whole movie. I mean, uh, Jason Alexander is in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Randy Quaid, like you said. Um, Glenn Close. Glenn Close, so good. Uh, and it's they get it down. Like the 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 filmmakers, they spent time at the Post and the Daily News to really get the spirit um, of working in these newspapers. And uh, Ron Howard asked them, like, don't you ever feel like embarrassed for working here? Don't you wish you could work at the Washington Post or the New York Times? And they were like, fuck no. Like, we like having fun and we like the spirit of it. And um, everyone in this movie is very funny and, like, clever. When they have their, like, um, meetings, there's, like, one-liners after one-liners. They're, uh, I don't know, the, the energy of this movie I really enjoyed. I think Michael Keaton's very good. And, like, the whole point of this movie is they... Uh, He's, like, telling Glenn... Glenn Close is the managing editor, and she kind of, like, hates her job, and she's, like, deadline's at seven, and we're running the story that is, and he's, like, no, I have the, I have the real story, they didn't do it, blah, 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 and he's, like, I swear I can get it. Oh, the one thing that is not fucking real is, like, he's... They're, like, what? It's 9.30, we're supposed to be off at seven. I'm, like, that never would have happened. Like, yeah. the paper will, will fucking run at seven. All that being said, all the characters are so fun and so good, and I think he is, like, the perfect ringleader for all yeah. of them. So maybe maybe it's my turn. Maybe it's come around that I'm the basic Betty of the podcast. Basic but I, bitch. But I, I think I, I love his performance in Beetlejuice, and yeah. I I completely agree. He is my Batman, and I think he gives great performance. As I said, I don't really love Birdman. I think he's fantastic in Birdman. But Beetlejuice, I think, especially after I read that thing about how his role, like a lot of his role, was improv. Yeah, I was really impressed because. You know, one of the things I think Michael Keaton does is he's he's really good at grounding things. One of the things he does great in the paper is he's, like you said, he's a perfect ringleader for that. I think he does it in Batman, too, where he brings an earthiness, a, a core to these characters that feel real. And what's great about Beetlejuice is it's probably the one time in his career where he's played something that doesn't... Ha that he's both doing that and is also just so impossibly not real. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Beetlejuice, mm -hmm. for those who don't know, which I genuinely don't know who you are at this point, is a, is a, about a, a couple... Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin play the Maitlands. They're a young couple who die and they come back as ghosts and their house is moved in by this 
awful yuppie couple uh, mm-hmm. who is played by Catherine O'Hara as Delia Dietz and Jeffrey Jones as Tar- Charles Dietz. And Delia Dietz is an artist and she Im- immediately goes about remodeling the house. And they bring their daughter, uh, Lydia Dietz, and played by the remarkable Winona Ryder. Like, just yeah. one of the best performances. And she can see these ghosts because she's weird, oh, <laughs> essentially, right. is the explanation. Because she's been to Hot Topic. Yeah, she's been to Hot Topic. Uh, when they were trying to sell the film, uh, when they were first talking about the film, uh, Fox hated the name Beetlejuice. Um, and they wanted to change the name of the movie to House Ghosts. Oh. And uh, as a joke, Tim Burton suggested Scared Sheetless. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. then was like instantly terrified because they began considering it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, also, spe- uh, just another weird fact about the movie. Tim Burton's original choice for Beetlejuice, Sammy Davis Jr., Wait, yeah, and then I... and the studio recommended wow. Michael Keaton. Um, and uh, that's <laughs> which is fortuitous because then he goes on to play as Batman. But um, the but so she can see them, and this this ghost this couple of ghosts are very unhappy. There's a whole hierarchy to the afterlife, but they begin receiving messages that there is a quote unquote bio exorcist who will exorcise your home of the living people in it. Um, and they think this is the last resort because everything that they've done, including making them dance a wonderful musical number to Harry yes, Belafonte, yes. hasn't worked. So they call in Beetlejuice to exorcise the house, and he is violent and scary, and then they're like, fuck, we can't get rid of him. Yeah. You know what's really beautiful about this? You two kids pick me. You didn't have to, but you pick me. It makes me want to kiss you guys. Come on. Come no. Give me one. Ah, you're right. Huh? All right, let's get down to this. You're right. I got a card around here somewhere. Here, here. Who do I have to kill? Here, hold that for me, would you? There. Whoa! Ah, there, you, there you go. You don't have to kill anybody. Ah, possession. Good. Learn to throw your voice. Fool your friends. Fun and party. <gasps> No, we just want to get some people out of our house. Ah, I understand, I understand. Well, look, in order to do that, I'm really going to have to get to know you guys. You know, we got to get closer. Move in with you for a while. Get to be real pals, you know what I'm saying? And... <laughs> Save that guy oh. for later. He, weirdly enough, was for the Saturn Awards that year, uh, nominated for Supporting Actor. He's the star of that it's movie. It's the titular role. <laughs> it's the titular yeah. role. <laughs> um, and uh, it's so funny, but I just I just think he's so funny and so electric in that role. Yeah. And so weird and gross, but also really charming, charismatic. The scene where he's mm-hmm. getting married to Winona Ryder at the end, where yeah. he's chosen her, he's made a deal with Winona Ryder that she will be his bride. Um, he's so funny, and but also disgusting. Yeah. But I feel like in a way you're with him. You're you were like I I don't know. When I was also I think part of this is hearkening back to when I was when I was a little kid I did not have much censorship in my home in terms of what I could watch. But I was not allowed to watch Beetlejuice for a year because wow. I quoted the scene in which he said, Nice fucking model <laughs> and I got yeah. in trouble for that. Yeah. Um But uh but yeah, I just think he's so funny and so charming. You were gonna say sorry. No, I just think like I don't know any other actor who's able to like ad lib and it's like what the thing he does where he's like uh, 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 yeah and like I don't even know like he's making these guttural noises and it's like the way he like jerks his neck around just like it is I mean, and then seeing like him play off Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin who are playing just like such squares yes it is such mm-hmm. high comedy and it's so good uh, and yeah like I said I just can't imagine anyone else playing him like imagine you are an actor. 
and you are like that performance is like almost like Jim Carrey level of comedy. Yeah, like absolutely. It, it, this is and and the problem is is like if it were made nowadays, which by the way I still am holding out hopes for Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, the sequel, which will never get made. Um, the but if it if that movie was made nowadays, if they were to remake it, they would cast somebody like Jim Carrey, and I feel like the the tone wouldn't be. Yeah, it would be very be, different. To 11. And one of the things that Michael Keaton's so good at is reading the room. Yeah. You know, he he gets the right, mm-hmm. you know, like he's a nine when he needs to be. He's a six when he needs to be. Well, it's almost like they play Beetlejuice as this, like, he is, if he, I don't know. It's like, he is this, like, very everyman guy. Like, he goes to, like, the strip club, right? right. And, like, he, like, has a, a, the van where he's, like, for his business. And he's, like, a regular Joe. But also he is, like, this undead spirit thing. Yeah. Uh, and and he's clearly evil. Yeah, like yeah. That's and deranged. Yeah, he's a deranged and and desperate. Like the scene where he's trying to like get Lydia to like summon him, and he's yeah. like, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> and it's it's crazy. Like, yeah. how do you as how do you make an audience fall in love with a character that is the actual villain? Right. You know? You're like we're right. We I want to see more of Beetlejuice, like you know, riffing and stuff. But also in the end, like maybe don't kill. <laughs> don't, yeah, exactly. Everyone, <laughs> don't murder those people while you're a snake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's um, like so they make him so gross looking, and like he just he has all that decay, and then he's so crass where he like squeezes his own crotch and then makes like a bordello to hang out in in that yeah. little town, like. There's just so much stuff in it that's so bonkers, and it's 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 funny to me because it's like it feels like the natural like climax of his comedy career of like we're just gonna go to the furthest craziest place we can go, but that I yeah, feel like yeah. if you watch almost any other movie, you can still see shades of Beetlejuice because it's like I was talking before about how he can snap to that place of like just this righteous, sometimes irrational anger, like, which I think is part of why I think Birdman really caught people's attention again, because it was that same kind of, like, snapping to that place of, like, what if, you know what I mean? Like, this Archibaldo Dela Cruz type thing of, of what if I had all this power, and he allows us to, again, embrace that fantasy of being able to let go that way, and I think that's part of why, I mean, because he's naturally charming. Like, we've seen that through all these movies that even when a movie's not very good, he could sometimes kind of make it work, but, like, yeah, Beetlejuice is just next level, and it's, I, I mean, it's funny because it's like looking at his, you know, his IMDb, Beetlejuice is still the number four, and it's like the top three are Birdman, Spotlight, and Founder, and that's not to say these are the most popular movies, but they're the movies people click on the most, and like right. the other three are from the last decade, so it makes sense people have been clicking on them, and people are still checking out Beetlejuice, because Beetlejuice oh, is still sure. outstanding. Yeah. Uh, so before we move into our fast forward, I guess we should do a little bit of our mixed reviews reviews. Uh, Louis, what was your top pick or what was your bottom pick? My bottom pick was Gung Ho from 1986. And my bottom pick was The Last Time from 2006. Christy? Mine was The Squeeze. I think it was from 1988. And your five star review, Louis? Uh, it was 1984's The Paper. And mine was 1988's Beetlejuice. And mine was 1992's Batman Returns. Ugh, so good. Awesome. So let's go into our fast forward. What I think is so interesting about what, when he, when he resurged as people saw it, where he started getting attention again for movies, like, he made Spotlight, he made The Founder, and I would say even Spider-Man Homecoming, and it's like, 
the spotlight is about this guy who works at a paper. So you can look back at the paper and be like, we, we trust Michael Keaton at a paper. Like, Michael Keaton's one of us, and he fights for truth and justice. And this whole time you're watching him play Robbie. And, like, Robbie's like, yeah, we got to figure out why no one's told this story before. And then there's that reveal that, like, Robbie had the chance to, you know, 10 years yeah. before or whatever, and he didn't. And he doesn't even remember that story. Yeah, And it's it's, like, such a powerful moment within the film, but also... I like to talk about the context of what an actor brings to a performance through their persona and through what we expected them based on other movies. And it's like the idea that Michael Keaton could make a mistake that big, I think is like adds to that moment and adds to the horror of he was a guy just trying to do his job and he lets something this big slip by. And then right. you have the founder, which I think does a similar thing where we've seen him do stuff in like Mr. Mom and Gung Ho. And he plays like these working class heroes in various respects. So like watching the founder, when I first saw it, I didn't know anything about Ray Kroc. And so I'm watching it and I'm like expecting to side with Ray Kroc. And Ray Kroc is yeah. an American dream guy. He works really hard and he's played by Michael Keaton. So even though Michael Keaton's played villain roles, I think we're... We, initially are like binding to him like he is a hero not just the protagonist but a hero and then you start seeing him get shadier and shadier and by the end of the film you realize you've kind of been suckered by the casting into thinking that this is another story about like an, a hard-working american man who really made it when actually it becomes this thing about how the american dream can fester and yeah. you know it's like people it's who full are capitalism internally morally bankrupt <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I don't think that's a mistake. I think he's very aware of that because, like, you know, then he does Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Homecoming is, again, about, like, a blue-collar worker who feels so jaded by this system where he is a hardworking dude with a good team and that's not enough because he's not Tony Stark. He doesn't have the money. And, like, here you have these, like, these rich people with all this power and all this money saying they know what's best for you and ignoring what you really need and it's like i think that he was trying to speak to a blue collar portion like you know i mean he, like i said we both he and i both came from near pittsburgh and you know you look at those map numbers uh brethren blue and it's disconcerting and i think he was like really tapping into that background to say like this is why this happens this is how you get villains out of these scenarios because people are so hungry to be heard and to be listened to that they will listen to anyone and so the vulture becomes that flashpoint for his crew i, I, I totally agree and I, I i remember watching spotlight i mean again i'm a sucker for newspaper movies yeah but like spotlight at that moment robbie is like we did have this and i just and because i think all of us like you go to work and you do the thing and it's like every day you just do the mm -hmm. thing over and over again and i think that's in the moment he, he realizes like oh fuck like this is not sometimes it does come to you and you need to like be cognizant enough and aware enough that like, right. Oh, this is something I need to like look more into. Um, and because a big part of this, right. a big part of spotlight is like him going to these lawyers and being like, I know you're just trying to do your job, but fuck that people are like right. in actual danger. And like you have, right. you, you can, you can either just do your job and go along, like float through life. Or make a real difference and, you know, uh, put yourself out there for, you know, these kids. Like, fuck. Um, yeah, I, 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 I like Spotlight a lot. <laughs> and I feel like Keaton with these later roles is being really selective. Like, I know we've talked about how in the, like, 2000s and stuff, he did a lot of just kind of trash, needless movies. But then it's like, I think he had the advantage of being able to, like, hunker down and make some really interesting things. And he's still making stuff that's like, whatever, like American Assassin yeah. exists. Well, yeah, it was pretty garbagey. Like, 
Yeah, but, I mean, but he's I mean, still like, really fun in it. I mean, I the latest trailer for Dumbo, which I just saw, actually featured him, because I don't feel like he was really in the other one that no. much. But in the newest one, you find out, like, oh, he's clearly the villain of the piece. He's, like, the rich businessman mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. comes in. And so it does feel like there is a, there is a conscious direction that he is moving his career in right and that he's he's absolutely sort of like focusing in on some of these roles that perhaps have more yeah. to say than they are just about like making money and it, I, i've read in interviews where he said you know he won't do a project if he if he doesn't think that there there there's some sort of core there he said in the same interview and this was an interview for birdman he was like, I didn't think Birdman was going to be much, so I, re- I actually tried to get out of it at first. Wow. And so I, I think that he is really trying to focus into, like, w- like what the core of these characters are, what they're saying, and what they're saying about the, right. the, the present in which they take place. Yeah, so on his... And I mean, even if you look... He's on Instagram now. Like, he was a guy who yeah, famously, like, shunned the press... Oh, yeah, yeah. His Instagram's great. It's largely political. It's often him just, like, tweeting headlines and being like, can you believe this? And, like, he's very anti-Trump. And, like, wow. he, uh, yeah. He was a, he was he, a Bernie his, supporter, his... actually. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, he, you know, he went from being someone we didn't hear a lot about their personal life and was very careful about not talking about stuff in interviews to now on Twitter he's or on Instagram. He's pretty, you know, open about his political feelings. And I feel like the work reflects that. Um, for the, 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 the top three things on his, um, his IMDb coming up are, like we mentioned, Dumbo, which will be coming out in the spring of 2019. Um, he's going to reprise his voice as Ken in Toy Story 4, um, and as Vulture again in Spider-Man Far From Home. And so, I mean, he's looking like to have, like, that's, those are three huge movies. So 2019 will be a big year for him. Um, but beyond that... Whom knows? Who knows? And and I I feel like I I normally I would ask the question, well, where do you want to see him move to? I feel like we've already answered that. I feel like we. I mean, I personally like this new direction. This yeah. new the new Michael Keaton. Same great flavor, right? <laughs> it's so like it's so insane though. Like thinking about like Multiplicity and Mr. Mom and like these movies where it's this very, you know, like a blue collar dude learns a thing and grows. Right. And now, yeah. and now we're getting him like in these really like rich and complex and like I mean I don't know if it's like him himself as an actor he's grown and he's he's older and he's really playing these characters like Christy you you explained it so well it, it, it's it's super insane to think that this is the same Michael Keaton you know and he's put in all the work and has had this like super long career and now he's getting to play these really interesting people. Yeah. It's been exciting to me exactly to see how Keaton has like evolved that conversation and, you know, not just regain the spotlight but use that to give us challenging characters and give us challenging stories that like, you know, make us have to sit back and think about them. Like I love Beetlejuice and I would argue that Beetlejuice and Batman Returns have a lot going on in them that's really fun to discuss. But I like that, like, Spotlight and Birdman and the founder are... And, and again, I say genuinely, Spider-Man Homecoming, I feel like the Vulture, what they did with that, he really wants you to dig past just kind of the top, like the, the surface layer of is this entertaining or not. And that's really exciting to see because, you know, we're hitting a point where a lot of, like, a lot of actors it, with his stature could just go kind of goofy with it and... You know, he could have, I'm sure he could have done other superhero movies and, you know, been like a parody of Batman or done something really silly or basically do a riff on Beetlejuice or whatever. 
But instead, he's doing this stuff that, you know, demands more of the audience. And, like, I think that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. Love that. So, Christy, where can we find you online if our listeners want to seek out more of your wonderful work? Yeah, I write all over. So I say I write every day on pajiba.com. That's P-A-J-I-B-A.com. And I round up my career highlights at decadentcriminals.com, which is spelled like it sounds. And you can find me on Twitter at Christy Puchko. That's K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And I tweet a bunch of stuff that I do there. And um, yeah, there's also a link to Decadent Criminals from there. So it's very easy to find. And apparently I'm on Letterboxd now, which I still don't totally understand how it works. Uh, You'll but figure I am it out. Sharing my You'll links and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've realized that people can comment on when I see a movie, which has been less than fun. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Exactly. It's a new place for comments. <laughs> <laughs> not not as excited about that. I thought people people were like, it's great for like a diary of what you've been watching. I was like, oh okay. And then I got a comment. It was like, you're wrong about this. And I was like, oh fun. Yeah, fun for that. Um, and, and so if, if you enjoyed the show, if you enjoyed our discussion about Michael Keaton, you can find their mixed reviews in many places online. Yes. You can find us at Twitter at, at the mixed reviews. We're on Facebook. Just type in the mixed reviews. Or you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. Also, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, uh, iHeart Radio, um, Google All Play Music. Things. And if you listen to us on Stitcher or iTunes, you can leave us a rating and review, preferably a good one. <laughs> uh, it helps our visibility, and so other people can find us as well. Yeah, thanks so much, Chrissy, for yep. joining us. Like that was you brought so much um, wonderfulness and insight into um, a great American actor. Honestly. Yes, absolutely. It was so oh, much thank fun. You. I'm glad. I, I was you, very excited to do this. I'm glad you picked Michael Keaton. Yeah, it was a good choice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. I'm laughing a stone, baby. Smack in the eye of a squall. Nowhere to run. Feel like my back's against the wall. Ooh, I'm somewhere in the middle, not remotely in the center of the We're totally professional podcasters. Christy, how dare you (laughs) laugh at us? Don't you dare. Don't you dare. (laughs) Don't you dare.